Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Tony. I heard a story about a husband who was on a business trip, and he decided he wanted to go and and make sure that he brought his wife home something for that trip. And so he went to a local mall, and he went to the the perfume counter. And he said, uh, how much does that that perfume cost right there? The clerk went over and grabbed the bottle and said, oh, well, this, this perfume is $30. And he said, $30, $30, that's really expensive. Can you show me something cheap? And the clerk went and grabbed a mirror. Here you go. (laughs) Opening question for you this morning is this. When you give, are you grumbling or are you glad? When you give, are you grumbling Or are you glad? The final book of the Old Testament, Malachi, received its name, obviously, from the author. In Hebrew, the name comes from a word meaning messenger, and that's exactly what Malachi was. He was a messenger to the Judean people. We don't know much else about Malachi. He didn't offer any identifying information about himself, leaving out Markers typical of other prophets, such as his father's name or the current leader of Israel. We don't know any of those things. However, based on the content of the book, it becomes clear that Malachi delivered his message of judgment to a Judean audience that was familiar with worshiping in the temple of Jerusalem. The people of Judah had turned away from the true worship of the Lord, leaving themselves under judgment and in need of salvation. The people of Judah began to be exiled out of the promised land in 605 B.C., and they returned home from Babylon 70 years later. By the time of Malachi, they had been back in the land for more than 100 years, and they were looking for the blessings they expected to receive when they finally returned home to Jerusalem. Though the temple had been rebuilt, the fervor of those early returning Israelites gave way to a thorough apathy for the things of God. This led to rampant corruption among the priesthood and a spiritual lethargy among the people. And Malachi, this prophet, he came along at a time when the people were struggling to believe that God loved them, that he cared for them. And the people focused on their unfortunate circumstances and refused to account for their own sinful behavior and wicked deeds. And so God pointed the finger back at them. And through Malachi, God told the people where they had fallen short of their covenant with him. And if they hoped to see changes, they needed to take responsibility for their own actions and serve God faithfully according to the promise their fathers had made to God on Mount Sinai all those years before. 
And so this morning, as we understand the context of Malachi, I'd invite you to read along with me out of Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. And let's listen to the prophet Malachi as he speaks to the people of God. Starting in verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, how, God, are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Verse 9, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Verse 10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty." Now, when you read through verses 6 through 12, you discover that there are some negatives, and there's one really powerful positive. Now, there's two types of promises that are delivered in Malachi chapter 3. There's some negative promises. If you don't do this, then I'm going to do this. But the Lord comes back and says, but if you do this, then I'm going to do this. Positive promises. So this morning, I want to look at three lessons from Malachi, Roman number one and two, albeit a bit negative, but Roman numeral number three, a massive positive. And so let's look at Roman numeral number one, taken from verses six through eight. We discover the difficulty of giving, the difficulty of giving. I heard a story about a missionary who once asked a new convert, his name was Pablo, He said, Pablo, if you had 100 sheep, would you give 50 of them to the Lord's work? And Pablo responded back. He said, sir, you know, gladly I would give him 50. Pablo, if you had 50 cows, would you give 25 of those cows back to the Lord's work? Yes, you know I'd be more than happy to give 25 of those cows back to the Lord's work. And the missionary asked one last time, Pablo, if you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord's work? And Pablo responded, that's not fair. You know that I have two pigs. Many people are extremely generous in theory, but not in practice. They say, if only I had a million dollars, I would give 500,000 back to the Lord. And friends, that's simply not true. If we aren't faithfully given even 10% of our money right now, we wouldn't give away half a million dollars even if we had it. Is that, can we all agree on that? Let's look at letter A. You, we have here a, a conflict in giving. There's a conflict in giving. The book, book of Malachi was written 430 B.C. That's 430 years before Christ. So that puts us on a timeline of it was written about 2,500 years ago. And the people of Malachi's day struggled mightily with giving back to the Lord. 
And so, friend, this struggle of giving, this conflict of giving, is nothing new today. This has been going on for a long time. Friends, giving is difficult. If you struggle in the area of financial giving, you are not alone. I'm right there with you. The struggle has been going on for thousands of years. Even the people in Malachi's day did not fully grasp what it meant to give back to God. If you look at the text, it's not even that they did not want to give. They had no idea of their personal responsibility to give their tithes and offerings. So this struggle of giving is as old as time itself. Furthermore, when you, dis- when you deploy this discipline of giving in your life, it does not get easier. I'll say that one more time. When you decide as a family or individually, I am going to give back to the Lord, it doesn't get easier as you go along. It gets harder. The Lord even claims the activity of giving to be a test. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, tests were always challenging and they never seemed easy. When you give, you'll still have challenging expenses. You'll have to keep tires on your car, the lights on at your house, food in the refrigerator, and you'll still, yes, sadly, have to pay for college. God does not promise that as you give to him, all the other expenses of life will melt away. However, he does promise to meet the important needs of your life, and we're going to cover that in just a moment. We'll move to letter B. We have a complaint in giving. There's a challenge, a conflict, but now we have a complaint. Not only is the struggle to give old, but there is apparently an order to our giving. Notice that God tells the people that they are robbing him of their tithes, of his tithes and their offerings. These are two different things. Did you know that tithe and offerings are two separate things? They're not one and the same. Friends, if only we could just give a tithe, that would be easy. A tithe, as we have learned probably from Sunday school and probably from me preaching, literally means one-tenth of our income. God is speaking directly, speaking very specifically here, directly to finances, money, pesos, dollar bills, y'all. That's what he's talking about. God wants you to volunteer your time and your talents, yes, but he also wants you to give your treasures back to him. Yet giving money is not where most people complain. Did you know that? Most people don't always complain about giving money. You think that that would be the case. It's not. So let's talk about an offering, okay? We're looking at something holistically different here. An offering is different than a tithe, in the Old Testament, a tithe was a monetary gift to the, to the temple to support the priests and the services that that temple offered. Essentially, the tithe was used to help people and support the religious leaders of the day. An offering is much more personal than a tithe. An offering was usually an animal, not just any animal, by the way. It would be a prized animal. It was an animal without defect. It would be an animal that would provide for the overall family, like a sheep or a goat or a calf. And placing this animal on the offering, on the altar as an offering, would come at tremendous 
sacrifice. Giving up this animal took a great deal of obedience. You see, when God says he wants your tithe, he wants your finances. When he says that he wants your offering, he says he wants your obedience. And friends, let me tell you something. Stroking a check is easy, but giving God your full obedience is the most costly thing that we could ever give. And Jesus talks about the cost of obedience often. Do you remember out of Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, what Jesus says? It'll be on the screen behind me. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes after me and does not hate their father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Then whoever does not carry their own cross cannot follow me and cannot be my disciple. That's the type of obedience that Jesus is talking about here. It's totally sold out commitment to God and his calling. And that type of obedience is always going to cost us something. So costly that it may cost you your, your comfort. It may cost you your friendships. And frankly, we have too many Christians who are not willing to pay the price. And friends, the world needs to see what real Christianity looks like now more than ever before. Are you today struggling with real obedience to God? We should be obedient to God in our actions, in our words, in our sacrificial giving, and so much more. We should be obedient to God in what we listen to, view, and how we parent our children. And friends, we must remember that when we give to God, a small, sinful part of ourselves is put to death. Did you know that? When you give to God, a small, sinful part of yourself is put to death. We must remember that when we give, we look a little bit more like Jesus. Even if God did not give us any other blessings than that, it would be enough reason to long to give to God. It should be the desire of every Christian to look more like Jesus. And when we accomplish that goal, we become even more joyful. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, it says, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in everything you put your hand to. Let's look at Roman numeral two. We see here the difficulty of giving, but now we also have the destruction of greed. When we give, we destroy greed in our live lives. I heard the story of a man walking down the beach and he comes across a bottle, had a, had a cork in it, and he popped the cork out of the bottle and wouldn't you know what pops up out of that bottle but a genie, a magical genie. And the genie says, thank you for freeing me from the bottle and in return I will grant you how many wishes? Three. Three wishes. Have you ever played that game, by the way, Genie in a Bottle? What would you wish for if you had three wishes? And somebody, some smart person would say, I'd wish for three more wishes, right? Trying to break the rules. You can't do that. There's clearly rules of Genie in a Bottle. So he says, thank you for freeing me from the bottle. In return, I will grant you three wishes. And the man says, great. This is fantastic. I've always dreamed of this moment and I know exactly what I want. 
I want a billion dollars in a Swiss bank account. Jeannie says, let it be so, poof. And in the man's hand is a, is a statement of a billion dollars with a rowdy number on it in his name. Wow. A lot of problems solved with a billion dollars. And then he continued and he says, next, I want a cherry red Ferrari right here on the beach. All of a sudden, the genius says, let it be so, poof. And right there on the beach is a cherry red Ferrari. Now, this guy was real. He was a real thinker. He's a lot like me. And he says, for my next wish, Jeannie, for my next wish, I want to be irresistible to women. And the genie said, let it be so. And poof, he became a box of chocolates. Some of you ladies out there are nodding, thinking, it's pretty good. Some of you would rather have a box of chocolates than a man. Greed, uh, greed can get you into a lot of trouble. Greed can get you into a lot of trouble. Look at letter A. God's curse for greed is personal. Again, I told you there's some negative promises here. But God's curse for greed is personal. The scripture is pretty clear. Generally, by the way, good preachers will only read a verse 10 of Malachi 3. And why do you think that is? Because verse 10's nice. Verse 10's good. Verse 10's happy. Most preachers don't read the verses before that. Verse 10 is really positive. God makes some great promises to the generous giver, and we'll cover that. In the third point, however, God makes some pretty significant promises in Malachi chapter 3, verse 9. God tells the people that they are under a curse. This is a personal promise made to an individual, you and me. Well, preacher, you're just reading from the Old Testament. Jesus would never curse me for not giving. Jesus is full of love and compassion. You were just using a scare tactic in order for me to force open my wallet and give money to the church. Okay. Flipping your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. And let's read about Jesus for just a second. I'll read it for you. This is from the NIV. It says, early in the morning as Jesus was on his way back from the city, he was hungry. You might even say Jesus was needy. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. That's an important point. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And he immediately, the tree withered and died. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? And they asked. And Jesus replied, truly, truly, I tell to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what is done to this fig tree, but also you can say this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive what you ask for in prayer. Okay, so what just happened here? I am going to explain it to you. First, Jesus is hungry. He is needy. He sees a fig tree that has leaves on it. It has the visual appearance of a productive tree. From the outside, this tree looked healthy. It looked full of life. In the Middle East, fig trees are common. The type of fig tree that Jesus would have seen would have produced the fig. 
as the leaves would blossom. If leaves were on the tree, then figs should be present. However, when the hungry Jesus arrives at the tree, he sees no fruit, but only leaves. Essentially, this tree that was meant to give, to produce, and to be productive was doing none of the above. It looked good, but it did not fulfill its purpose as a tree giving figs. So what does Jesus do to that tree? He curses it, it withers, and it dies. Friend, there is a parallel in this story for our lives today. We are like the fig tree. Some of us have all the trappings of a fig tree. We have leaves of good works. We have leaves of nice talk. We have leaves of going to Sunday school and church. However, when God comes to our tree and shakes its branches, we will give, will we give him what he is looking for? Will we give him our fruit of produce and productivity? Malachi tells the people that God will curse them personally for not giving, for not being obedient. And Jesus curses the tree for not producing and being productive for what it was meant to do. Don't think for a second that somehow we as American Christians are above being cursed by God. Don't think for a second that somehow we would escape that type of judgment. So what does that curse look like for you and me? Well, I don't know. I don't know. But I know that I don't want to experience it. (laughs) I don't want to experience that curse. Look at letter B. We have God's curse for the greed, for greed is for all people. So it's not just for me, it's little old Stuart Davidson, but it's also for the country. The curse was personal, but for Malachi, it goes further. Malachi extends the curse to all people. Because of their greed, the entire nation is cursed. Friends, I believe that our nation is traveling down a road of cursing and not blessing. Look around. Churches are shrinking and having to close their doors. And instead of reaching people, we complain about carpet, chairs, music, and ministers. We hold tight to our dollars and quiet protest while people all around the globe die and are going to hell. As morality erodes around us, as the family falls apart, we hold on to our pocketbooks, refusing to give to the kingdom, to kingdom works that would prevent the very thing that we hate. Friends, I believe in our country, and I, and I don't believe that the United States of America is too far gone to be saved. The Christian faith is interwoven into the fabric of our society. We should pray for our country. We should serve our country. Do you not see the benefit of churches in this country and how churches can impact our society in a positive way? Friends, you serve the country when we keep the doors of this place open. I'll say that again. You serve our country when you keep the doors of Eastern Shore Baptist Church open. And I'll go another step. You serve our country Not only when you keep our doors open, but when you keep us on mission. We serve the world when we give to missionaries that can go spread the gospel, when we're operating within our cooperative program. I'm so proud of our church. 
A tenth of our general income is given to the cooperative program that funds missionaries around the globe, not just here in the United States, but all over the world. Pastor, I don't have much. I have just a little bit of money. It won't make a lot of difference. Friend, the size of your gift is meaningless. It's the attitude behind your gift that really matters. The size of your gift is meaningless. The attitude behind the gift is what's really important. If you have a little, give a little. If you have a lot, then give what God has put in your heart to give. The point is not to give, but to give with an attitude of love and respect, to be cheerful in your giving. If you love yourselves and love our country, then you should give. We should give. More important than that, if you love God, then giving is the ultimate act of that love. It is our offering to him. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 17, all must give as they are able, according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. Did you hear that? Give what you're able. Give what you can. Now here's the positive. We've seen Roman numeral 1 and 2, the dividend of giving, taken from verses 10 through 12. You see this wonderful promise of bringing our tithe into the storehouse and all of these blessings that flood our life. Oh, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. True story. Spurgeon was once invited by a wealthy man to come down and preach in his country in order to help them raise money that they may pay some debts. The man told Spurgeon that he was free to use his country house, his townhouse, or his seaside home. Very nice. Spurgeon wrote back and declined coming, and he said, sell one of your homes and pay the debt yourself. (laughs) Pretty good, right? Friend, remember, every time we give, we become a little bit more like Jesus. That's enough. Even if there are no other promises attached to becoming a generous giver, that would be a promise enough to be like Jesus. How many of us would sign up for that class? I can do this, and I can become more like Jesus? Okay, sign me up there. God makes us three promises. Three promises. Malachi transitions from negative to positive in three different ways. Look at these promises. He promises provision. In verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Isn't it funny? that we operate under this faulty mindset that, oh, I need to hold on to what I have. I may not have enough. And God says, listen, if you give, I'm going to give so much more to you, you won't be able to store it all. It's an act of faith to give. He says, I'll make a promise of provision. Look at verse 11, point B. He says, not only will I provide for you, but I will protect you. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines of your field will not drop fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. I'm going to protect you from all the pests and pestilences that come into your life. You won't see any of those things if you're faithful, if you give, if you are obedient. And then let her see. Verse 12, we see prosperity. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. 
Now, we need to understand these promises. First, we need to understand that there's promises, that these promises were specifically made to the Israelites. They were made to them in their context. However, even though these promises must be kept in context with which they were given, the principles behind the promises are still applicable to us today. Sort of like Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper plans to give you a hope and a future, that promise wasn't directly to us. But nevertheless, we still maintain the principle behind that promise for us today, that God doesn't change, and we're still God's people, we're still God's children, and therefore the promises would still apply to us in our own daily lives. Friends, when we give, I believe that God will meet our temporal and daily needs. Have you ever heard that you can't outgive God? You ever heard that statement? Well, brother, I'm going to let you know your preacher believes it. I don't believe that you can outgive God. I also believe that God will protect me. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 26. And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or about your body or what you're aware. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and you know how much more valuable you are than they. Friend, you are more valuable to God than a bird. And yet God makes sure that the birds of the air have everything they need in life. God is not going to let you fall. He's not going to let you fail. He's not going to let you starve. God's going to take care of you. Friend, if God provides for the birds or the air, then I believe he'll do the same for me. After all, he loves me more than them. Did you believe that today? That God loves me more than a bird? Of course he does. In Psalm chapter 91, verse 2, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my fortress, and in him I will trust. God's your protector. Lastly, God promises the people that they will be prosperous. They'll be the talk of the globe, <laughs> not the talk of the town, the talk of the world if they're obedient. Friends, it's within God's power to do these things. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel to you this morning. The Christian life is a balance between suffering and sanctification. Yet throughout the pages of Bible, we meet obedient characters who are blessed spiritually, physically, emotionally, and materially. God does not want... God does not have to bless us with anything, but he will bless us with joy when we tell God it's all yours. Take it, take me and use it and use me today for your glory, for your purposes to grow your kingdom. The offering plate is a powerful tool. Most of us let it pass and we don't give a thorough thought to what it really symbolizes. The offering plate is symbolic of an altar. At this altar, I lay down my sacrifice to God and obedience to him. In this offering plate, I give God my best, my most, my all. I give him my tithe. I'm also to, commanded to give him my offering. If I simply give him my tithe, it's not enough. For in this offering plate, I place myself. I step into it and clothe myself in its humble reverence. The offering plate is not a suggestion box. The offering plate is not a place to make change. If you are redneck, you'll make change in the offering plate. 
Do we have any rednecks here today? Don't make change in the offering plate. This is not a thing or an object. It is a tool that helps me look more like Jesus. So ask yourselves this morning, what am I going to place in the offering plate this morning? Will you just let it pass by? Will you give your minimum and expect God's maximum? I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I give my minimum and I think, God, give me your maximum. Will you put yourself, your whole self into it and say, Lord, all I am, everything I have, it all belongs to you. Will you give yourself away so that God can use it and use you?